It's me, your lead pastor, Brian Cashman. All right, it's obviously not Brian, but I know you guys are all missing him. Me too, a little less than you guys because he is in the room with me, but um, I'm feeling it for you guys. So it's me, Isaac Silva. I'm the worship leader here at Valley Metro Church, and maybe a lot of you guys just know me as the actor kid who does music, used to have really long hair, and thanks to all of your prayer requests, I went ahead and cut it off. Um, but I like to think that outside of acting and outside of worship that there's a little more to my life. In fact, I like to think my life's a little hardcore outside of ministry. And in this intro, I'm going to be talking about my parents a little bit, and sometimes it's outside of my control and I get a little emotional. And if I do, it doesn't make me any less hardcore. If any tears dropped, I want you to picture it as a, a tattoo. Make me really tough. Anyways, so I'm born and raised in Kansas, so probably not a surprise that I was also born and raised in faith. My parents, they were youth pastors. Um, they were obviously parents, and they were foster parents. They were teachers, and my father was a coach. And so I, I kind of picture myself growing up like a lot of pastor kids did, and that just means that instead of getting yelled at a lot, I got a lot of Bible verses quoted at me, which will make you roll your eyes quite a bit. But you know what? My spirit it never rolled its eyes, and it hung on to those things because the word, it, it cuts deeper than, than a double-edged sword. And so um, my dad, he was, his emphasis was that I would obey God more than I would obey him. And um, to give you an example, my sister, man, I, me and my sister, we have a very interesting dynamic, and I'll give you a story to, to example it. There was one day, and I'm glad that it's me telling the story because she wouldn't tell you the truth. I'm going to tell you the truth here. I was eating cereal, probably doing something extremely spiritual, like reading a Devo or something. And she comes out of nowhere. No, no one provoked her. And she, I don't know if she put her finger in my cereal or she put something in my cereal. She messes with my cereal and she takes off running full speed. And I grab the spoon out of my cereal and I throw it at her as hard as I can. It hits her in the spine and her knees buckle and she hits our front door and collapses. And I promise you that's 100% truth. And so that is kind of a typical day in our relationship. So as you can figure, my dad got a little fed up with it. And um, he decided that the solution was to sit us both down at the kitchen table and make us listen to a sermon together. And so like I said, my dad, above wanting me to obey him, he wanted me to answer to God. And I remember a lot of times we would sit down and we'd have conversations and he would look me in the eye and he would say, you know what? You may be able to lie to me right now, and you may even convince me of your lie. You may even convince yourself of your lie, but you can't lie to God. He's going to know, and, and that's who you have to you know, be accountable to. And so that was my upbringing, but my father was also really good at, at asking questions. And so it caused me to think a lot as I grew up. And my mom, she's the most loving, kind, wonderful person, and she encouraged me in every single endeavor that I decided to pursue. So she's phenomenal, uh, better than any woman that I've ever met in this entire world. And she would even help me out financially sometimes in those endeavors, which my dad absolutely loved. And so with that, I became a thinker. I became an explorer. So it's not surprising that I ended up here in L.A. pursuing acting. And shortly after going to acting school, I am now pursuing a degree in biblical studies. Um, and I just have more and more questions as as time goes on. I try not to get like Joe, but I, I try to stay curious. And so I think it's important to tell you all that because 
I want to look at a story that I'm sure you know, Cain and Abel. But because I have a lot of curiosities and because I like to put weird twists on things, I dove deep into it and I found out some stuff that I, it can push the line a little bit. And if you're not ready for it, maybe it will offend your ears. And so I challenge you to be like the Bereans whenever Paul would come and preach to them. And what they would do is they would take what he said and and they would eagerly go and listen to him. And then they would compare what he said with the word of God, and they would keep, obviously, what was good, what aligned. And I'm sure they discarded of anything if it ever did um, malalign. So I challenge you guys, even if it's just one verse that you hang on to, stick with me throughout this story, and um, you could toss out anything that, that the Lord tells you to afterwards whenever you're doing your homework. So I think in order to go into Cain and Abel, we have to talk about their parents, Adam and Eve. And so for those of you who don't know the story, of Adam and Eve. This was the beginning of the world. God had created a perfect environment for us. And he made the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, and um, they lived there. And there was only one rule, really, is there was the tree of life and then the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this is in some way of like restricting them from having fun. It's the same way that we tell kids not to go play in the street because they can get hurt. And so God was looking out for him, but this sneaky snake gets into the garden, convinces Eve, you know, did God really say not to eat the apple? So she eats the apple, and upon eating the apple, she becomes conscious. She becomes self-conscious, aware of her nakedness and all these things. And so what happens next is something that has continued ever since that moment took place, was she gave the apple to Adam, and he became self-conscious. And so since then, women have been making men self-conscious, and so shall it go. (laughs) So please stick with me. Like I said, we're going to have some fun here. Um, Genesis 3.21 says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So... This is where my perspective on this story is a little interesting and a little different. Because if you think about Adam and Eve, well, they were created by God. Adam was made out of the dirt by God. And then Eve from his rib. And so I don't know if you know anybody who was made out of dirt into paradise or made out of a rib into paradise. So they're, they're kind of an exception. So if you think about it, Cain and Abel who came next, they were the first people to be born of flesh. Flesh born of flesh in a fallen world. So I know it may sound interesting, but stick with me. Cain and Abel are in a way the first humans because they were born into what we would call history. This is where things are born, they live, and they die, and then they are remembered by by it being written down. Um, And so if we look at it from that perspective, then it puts an interesting emphasis on the story because this is the, the first story of humans, the, the ones that we are, because we weren't made like Adam and Eve in that sense. And so Adam made love to his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. And now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. Okay, so we have the occupations. We have shepherd versus farmer. And you know what? Growing up, had I really slowed down and paid attention to the fact that Abel was a shepherd and he was the youngest and he had immense favor 
and David was a shepherd and he was the youngest and he had an immense favor as the youngest in the family, I might have pursued something along similar lines just to see if I was lucky enough to get that same favor. But um, unfortunately, that industry is closed down now, I think. The shepherd, interesting, is the archetype of a leader. So this is a glorious job to have. This is great. He's the leader of the flock. And man, this was glorious back then because they didn't have TikTok, they didn't have Facebook, they didn't have all these ways that you can become famous overnight. So what did he do to, to keep himself entertained, but also probably to look a little macho? He placed himself in the middle of a field with a bunch of defenseless sheep and there are lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, I get to say that because I'm from Kansas. And yes, I know there is no place like home, but he got to put himself out there and he's with a slingshot defending um, his defenseless sheep. And so I'm sure the ladies loved it. I'm sure they thought it was great. They probably felt extremely safe around him. But we look at Cain and what his occupation was, and he was a tiller of the ground. And I mean, this was literally the consequence of the fall. And so it probably wasn't the most popular occupation. And you know what? I'm sure that sneaky snake was probably convincing everybody else, like, hey, you already got in trouble. You might as well pick the rest of the apples off of here and store them for later. And <laughs> I know that we laugh at that, but it's a lie that comes around so often. If, if I had a dollar for every single time that I made a mistake and then I heard a voice in my head saying, well, you already messed up, you might as well get your money's worth, right? Don't believe that lie. We won't stay on that long, but I just wanted to point that out. So there's already a dichotomy between the two occupations. And to make it even more interesting, Abel is the younger brother to Cain. And everything is supposed to be set up in Cain's favor. Because we'll look at it this way. Back then, um, the eldest got the inheritance. So if you were a father and you have eight sons, let's say we played it fair and, and he split up his inheritance between eight people and then his eight sons had eight sons. Well, then they're each gonna divide it between eight and then th those eight have eight. And before you know it, we're all standing on cheese it sized plots of land and starving to death. So no, it's not fair, but it can't be fair. So they accepted it. And this meant that the youngest son had to go make his own way, and the eldest had the blessing. And you know what? That resonates with me a little bit because let me tell you about my brother, my oldest brother. He's an absolute stud, okay? He was a 4.0 valedictorian, football athlete, prom king, and to make things worse, he decided he was going to go to medical school because oh, look at me. thought he was the hottest stuff on the block. And my friends, my coaches, and especially girls were not afraid to remind me of these things, okay? And uh, me, for a decent portion of my life, I was bald and fat. So look, I know Kane had it tough, but I've seen the paintings, okay? I've seen the pictures. He was ripped, and he couldn't have lasted a single day in my bald, fat life. <laughs> so let's get back to the Word of God. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Now, the first time, for a long time, up until I studied this a little bit more thoroughly, I thought that this was the first sacrifice in the Bible. And this is debatable here, but if we read Genesis 3.21, it says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And so I think if God is making skins, I mean, where do we get skins? Where do we get leather from? We get it from animals, right? And so I'm assuming that he sacrificed an animal to make skins to, to cover them. So it's not rare to see God exampling something that he wants us to do, right? 
we love because God first loved. And so it wouldn't surprise me that we give because God first gave. So we, we look at the environment that they're in. I mean, they've got these long winters ahead of them. And, and well, Abel, I mean, he's got sheep, so he has wool to, to keep him warm. And then he has the meat from the sheep, and so he's well fed. And, and well, Abel, he has, or Cain, he has a, a handful of seeds, and he has a decision to make. He could either eat those seeds, and well, those who didn't eat the seeds sometimes died. But interesting enough, those who ate the seeds actually died more often. And that's not something that I'm pulling out of thin air. Um, I want to talk to you about this interesting book that I got this theory from, and it's called A Man's Search for Meaning. And it was a man called Viktor Frankl, and he was a professor in urology and psychiatry, and he was encamped in Nazi Germany. And so he depicts this, this gruesome story in his book talking about how people were beaten, people were ripped away from their families, they were hardly fed, they were worked to the bone, all these awful conditions, wearing minimal clothing in the freezing cold. And as this is all going on, because he has a brain that he does, he's, he's categorizing people and he's noticing something. He's noticing that there's two groups, okay? Those who had lost their meaning and given up on what it was that they served for purpose in life, and then those who are holding on to their purpose. So we could say those who had a why and those who did not. And I want you to hold on to that thought because that, we're going to come back to that later. But the point of the seeds is whether or not to eat them. And so they would get these tiny portions of bread, he would say. And I don't remember how far in between they would give these portions of bread. But occasionally somebody would act up to the guards and um, they wouldn't get their serving of bread. And so you had those who, even though they weren't getting any food, they were already taking away what little they had. And he saw another division again in the groups. There were those who were willing, whenever they saw their brother who had their bread taken away unfairly, they would break their bread and they would share with their brother. And man, the symbolism in that is deep. Look in the word for that, you'll find very deep stuff. But what he realized about the people who were sharing the bread was that those were the people who were surviving. And the ones who were not sharing the bread, keeping their whole slice to themselves, those were the ones who were dying. So that leads me to my first point. Don't sacrifice your future for the now. So there's an interesting study called Don't Eat the Marshmallow Yet. And um, I'm going to try to go through this really quickly. But it was a study that these psychiatrists, these psychologists did. And they would put these kids in a room and they would put a marshmallow in front of them. And they would say, okay, if you can go 10 minutes without eating this marshmallow, we'll bring you another one. So you see these kids are sitting on their hands. They're whistling, trying to distract themselves, looking all over. And some kids can't help it. They're like picking it up. They're smelling it, putting it on their face, like licking it, just getting a little taste. And of course, some of them ate them. But the ones who didn't eat them, and they followed these people's lives for far after this. And the ones who didn't eat the marshmallow, who understood delayed gratification, became far more successful than the ones who did eat the marshmallow. So those farmers learned something, and it was that you don't get what you want when you want it. And if you do, you die because you sacrifice the future for now. And we as Americans, that's really tough because we're, we're set up in a, in a community where it's kind of based off of delayed gratification. Like, let me give you, this is my dramatic representation of America. So Debbie, can I tell you something? You know what? I was, I decided to try out Amazon Prime and they have the, the overnight shipping thing. And I thought I've been a good person. You know, I deserve a gift. It's not my birthday or nothing, but I deserve something good. And so I ordered myself something. And 
you wouldn't believe it is in a quarter till noon the following day that that package comes in. The delivery man doesn't even ask me if it's my birthday or anything. He just gives me the box. And so you know what? If Amazon Prime thinks that I'm going to continue subscribe, well, I don't subscribe to them yet. It was a free trial. But if they think that they're going to get away with overnight shipping when it's overnight and half a day shipping, I'm done. <laughs> and I know that's funny, but that's, that's the environment that we live in. And there's two sides of the coin, obviously. We live in the greatest country in the entire world, and there's so much opportunity to become whoever and whatever you want. But with great opportunity comes great responsibility, as any good superhero would have said. So, again, the lesson that they learned is that they could sacrifice something of value now for something of equal or greater value later. And so we're looking at their sacrifices. It doesn't say much about them. And so we'll see what, what God thinks of their offerings. So the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. And what I love about this is it doesn't specify why really, not in detail. It doesn't say anything specific about the sacrifice itself. And I think that's exactly how life is because we can be going along and maybe we're working hard at something. We look at the person next to us and they seem to be doing the same amount of work. But for some reason, everything that they're doing is paying off 10 times more than what you're doing. And on the outside, it looks like you're doing the exact same thing, but we can never tell what's going on on the inside, that why that is driving somebody. You don't know the amount of sacrifices that a person is going through just to reach the level that you may do something on a basic level. And so that's what I love about this story is because it's exactly like life. And so that leads me to my next point, and it's a question. Am I giving to get or do I get to give? And I think we have to look at different stories in the Bible to uh, get a better understanding of this. And so I want to look at Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5, 1 through 11. So Ananias and Sapphira, they were a husband and wife, and they lived in the early church. And the early church, was they were very generous people. They were people that didn't claim anything as their own. They, they worked as a collective. And there was even a man named Joseph. He was, a, he was a Levite, and he was very, very generous. And so he sold his plot of land, and he gave all of his money to the disciples. And so... Everybody went crazy, but I mean, they loved that. They were probably throwing them up in the air. And Ananias and Sapphira are seeing Joseph being thrown in the air. They're like, we want to be thrown in the air. And so they get this idea that they're going to sell their plot of land and they're going to do the same thing, except for they're going to take a handful of the money, they're going to put it in their pocket, and they're going to pretend like they gave everything that they had over. And so Peter, being filled with the Spirit...